Hello, everyone, and welcome to Three Words, a bite-sized podcast about the simple and yet strategic choices that I can make, that you can make, that anyone in our world can make to become the best versions of ourself. My name is Dr. Michael Brown, and I am the host of this particular podcast. But today, this podcast is not bite-sized, and it is not about simple choices. In fact, the conversation is about hard choices, urgent choices, really, really important, quite honestly, some of the most important choices that we can ever talk about here at Three Words. I am really privileged today to be in Toledo, Ohio with one of my very closest friends, Sammy Adebiye. And I just want you to know that it is an honor to be with him here today. And I'm going to do what I oftentimes do, Sammy, and that is to give the privilege to you to share our three words for the day, which are Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. A very provocative, a very important conversation. And before I have us begin to engage in that, I have a couple things I want to say. First of which, I want to give a disclaimer. Uh, Two weeks ago today, George Floyd, on May 25th, two weeks ago today, was murdered. And since then, there is so many things going on in my heart, as I know in your heart, that my head is just about to explode with so many thoughts and, and musings and reflections. And part of me wanted to wait longer to talk very specifically about these things until I become maybe an expert. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to wait. We're not going to wait to have this conversation because... It's about the process. It's about progress more than perfection. And I just want us to have a very real and a very raw and a very honest conversation, friend to friend, Mm -hmm. about this incredibly important three words, that black lives matter. So before we go there, I just wanted to take a few minutes and just let you kind of introduce yourself uh, to Three Words Podcast listeners, those who either watch us on our YouTube channel or listen on their favorite podcast platform and then kind of talk about our relationship. And and, and quite honestly, I just need you to hear, we've not scripted this. We don't know where this is going to go. It could mm-hmm. be an hour long. It could be longer <laughs> than that. But yeah. um, we're just going to have an honest conversation, friend to friend. But our conversation first needs to begin with you. Who are you? And tell us about yourself a little bit. Well, thanks for having me, uh, Michael. It's good to be here. Um, even though I don't believe the first time you invited me is us talking about Black Lives Matter, but mm-hmm. no pressure at all. But it's good to be here. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Michael said, my name is Sammy Adabi. I was born and raised in Nigeria, which is in West Africa. Spent the first 19 or so years of my life there. And um, just crazy circumstances somehow landed in Toledo, Ohio. And when I came here, I just wanted to do my own thing, wanted to live my own life. And and I was after the American dream as hard as I could. And hmm. uh, about a semester and a half into that, um, just had a life interruption. It changed everything. And, and I found myself going in the opposite direction and fell in love with Jesus and loved communicating. And, and uh, that's all I wanted to do. And so... So I didn't do that. <laughs> Usually, you know, when you have a dream, you think, all right, God, here we go. Let's, let's step into the dream. Yeah, but yeah. 
spent a lot of years after that doing what felt like the opposite of what the dream was. But I think those were the years where um, my character was being built. I, you don't realize mm-hmm. that in the moment that that's mm-hmm. what's happening. But uh, long story short, a uh, little while after that, met a girl. I was involved in a little thing in town and met a red-haired girl from Sylvania. And I was like, hey, what's up? She ignored me for a while, but, you know, I was persistent and uh, tenacious. And and so I got married and we've been married. We just celebrated 12 years of marriage. And so and we've got four kids and one on the way. So we adopted our oldest baby from Haiti and I have an eight year old. I have a six year old. I have an almost three year old and I have a baby. They're all girls. Our dog is a girl. I tell people I'm a minority (laughs) in a sorority. So yeah. I love it. I love being a girl dad. And well, you I, look 25 years old to think that you have I, that, this big family. I mean, that, we were I, talking about our age. We'll keep that a secret today. Exactly it. how old I we are. I love it. I know. I said 19 years early. I'm like, hmm, people are doing the math here. Yeah. But, you know. And we met, so. obviously, um, six years ago. Yes. And um, yeah. became friends and have been closely in contact um, yeah. and having these kinds of significant conversations. Maybe not this particular conversation, yeah. but yep. significant conversations for mm-hmm. the past several years about what it means to grow and develop and become the best version of ourselves. Sammy, um, we're sitting here in a space that you oversee at Soma City Church in Toledo, Ohio. You meet in the Franklin Park Mall right underneath us. And here we are um, in the five, which is kind of your community center. And I'm just excited to be socially distanced from you, of course, during this time. And I want to do that, obviously, to serve you and, and your wife, who's about to uh, Ashley about to give birth in July to your yeah. to your next child, but um, I just want to say, as we begin this conversation, I, honestly, I want to begin with an apology. And the reason I want to begin with an apology is because you reached out to me with a text message um, on the Friday after George Floyd's murder. And the text message basically read, Michael, this has been a hell of a week. A hell of a week. And in that moment, because we're friends and um, we meet a lot and we talk about these things, I thought, oh, he's ready for a session. He's ready to have a conversation. Let's mm-hmm. meet. And, and in that moment, I didn't even consider that you were talking about this. And obviously I know your blackness and I celebrate your blackness and I know you are my black friend. And yet in my white privilege and in my white bubble, I just, and I was obviously grieving and working through all that was happening as well and thinking it. But in that moment, my response was simply, you ready for a June session and ha ha. And then it triggered soon after, oh, my friend is suffering. And I was insensitive. And I am really sorry about that. And you were gracious with me. And um, I'm not even sure you realized that I didn't quite trigger in my mind that that was happening. But it just, again, reminds me that this is a deep, multi-layered, challenging conversation. Um, And even our relationship and our friendship has been shaped in some way by these things. And I want to talk about that today. I want to yeah. talk about Black Lives Matter. And I want to just hear from you. And I want to care for you. And I want to listen. And I want to learn. And I want to share some thoughts with my white friends and family, which I will, I'm sure, at some point in time do. But 
I just wanted to say that to you because you're my friend and I love you. And, and I just didn't respond in the way initially that I would have wanted to. And I, I appreciate that, Michael. And it makes sense. It's weird. It took me a while, honestly, even for me to, to, to try and figure out why this felt so personal, right? So let's just zoom out for a little bit, obviously. And you'll hear people say this all the time that, you know, this stuff happens a lot and, you know, and, and we don't mm-hmm. respond like this to every murder, you know, so, but there was something about George Floyd that felt personal, like something about it, you know, and, and I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I was putting my three-year-old to bed. I was going to read her a story and she was, she's like, can I play for a few minutes? I'm like, go ahead. I pulled my phone out, saw the notification, watched the video, tried to mm-hmm. mute it down. And, and, and then, you know, right after the video, she came up and crawled up and she wanted to play. And, and, and it, it just, it felt different. And I think you can see that when you, when you, if we truly listen and, and look, you know, just not only in our community, but in our nation, it felt different. I, I don't know if it was just that we literally got to see him die, you know, on camera, but mm-hmm. something about that just felt, it felt different. I felt like I knew him. I felt like I mm-hmm. just watched a friend just die on my phone. And, and I remember running out of my room and, and I was trying to catch my wife because I because I knew it was going to blow up. And I was trying to tell her, hey, there's a video that's going to circulate. I don't think you should watch it. You know, and she's like, I just saw it and I already saw it. And and, wow. uh, and my daughter, three year old, is like, Daddy, Daddy, read me this story. And so in my brain, I'm trying to navigate both emotions of feeling overwhelmed, feeling sad, not even knowing what I feel. Yeah. Uh, but then having also this three year old, which to me is is. um that's the hardest part of this conversation, you know, is, is to see the world, not just through the lens of how the world affects me, yeah. but how does the world affect my children? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, so I feel like even for me, when it happened, it took a while for me to be able to wrap my mind around why this felt so personal, but it yeah. felt incredibly personal. When you shared, you actually shared a Facebook um, conversation with your community here at SOMA, where you talked about the fact that, um, your daughter's the thought, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the thought that there will be individuals in their lifetime who will hate them yeah, because simply how they look and the appearance and the tone of their skin. Obviously, yeah. Ashley, your wife, is Caucasian. She's a yeah. white woman, and your, your children are um, – your biological children are biracial. Yeah. Um, obviously, I have a 12-year-old son we adopted who's biracial. And so we share that and just what that's going to look like for our kids to grow up in this world. But as I listen to you on that day, share that. I mean, it was really personal because that's where the rubber meets the road. This is not about – it is about George Floyd and it is yeah. about our children. Um, but it's really personal. And I'll be honest, Sammy, yeah. I feel guilty at times thinking about how this affects my 12-year-old son now and then when he's 18, 19, yeah. 20 years old. I, I feel guilty about that because I'm thinking there's millions of black men right now, black yeah. and brown men who are dealing with this. It's not yeah. about me and it's not about my child. And and yet it does kind of create this awakening within me. It does, yeah. That this is so important. Um, and then I think it was even during that time you were texting me, my friend, and saying – I'm trying to just stay in my room. I'm trying not to 
bring this into my family and it's hard it's hard because you know there i I know the world is a hard place i know that my kids are going to go through tough times and 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 i feel like even even as young as they are i can teach them those things that hey Mm -hmm. there are people that are gonna bully you and there are people that are not gonna you know when i think of the challenges that my kids are gonna go through like we all go through because life is hard and we live in a broken world I can reconcile that. Mm-hmm. This to me is the one area I can't reconcile. I cannot reconcile having that conversation with my own child. Part of it is seeing the innocence in them as children, you know, to be able to say, hey, and just knowing that, hey, that there are people in this world. And I think that's what it was. George Floyd just reminded me of something that I'd already known to be true. To so just say, hey, there are people in this world that are going to look at my kids and they're going to make conclusions, you know, about them. And mm-hmm. I'm going to hate them, quite frankly, yeah. um, just based on me, you know, even like because their dad, not just because their dad's black, but that's that's what I contributed to the equation. If that if that, yeah. you know, and so that to me, that that's that's a world I just could not I just could not get myself to just accept that to just say that's just the world that we live in yeah that 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 was it was incredibly overwhelming it was sad and and you know it's been such a wave of emotions people keep asking me how are you doing i'm like i don't know what day is it what time is it what hour is Mm -hmm. it i feel like i've gone through i was really sad at first it was was really sad just thinking about my kids i cried a lot but then i got angry (laughs) you know it's like you get sad and then you get angry and you want to flip tables and you want to fight, you know, because mm-hmm. you want to fight for your kids. And and um, like you said, it's bigger than my kids. I understand that. Um, but, yeah. but I'm sure that there are hundreds and thousands of, of fathers and mothers who are feeling what I was feeling, right, yeah, at a bigger sure. scale, you know. And so and I think that's one of the things that that I think that is hardest for let me say my white brothers and sisters to mm-hmm. reconcile is like, I'm not sure that people have gotten close enough to understand the anger. I, I think sadness. Yeah. Like I can see how that makes you sad, but I'm not sure people have gotten close enough. White folks generally mm-hmm. close enough to, to be able to connect the dust and go, I can see why this would make you angry. Like I can right. understand why this would make you furious. Cause I went through that. I felt like I yeah. came to a place where I was like, okay, like I will fight anybody that I have to. And I will, you know, and it sounds terrible, but it's like, I would do things that are out of character if it meant protecting my kids. And mm-hmm. if it meant, meant working towards a better world for my kids, like Absolutely. I was willing to do whatever it took. Well, and even my son, Jameson, who's 12 and his whole world is Fortnite and friends and yeah. ice cream, yeah. you know, for him to actually three days after, um, the George Floyd atrocity for us to be getting ready for bed. And he locked in on my eyes. And he pleaded with me. And my son doesn't get serious very often. He's all about fun and games. And he locked in and he said to me, Dad, would you find a way to take me somewhere where you can get my skin dyed white so that this would never happen to me. And so when you talk about fighting and you talk about anger um, and you talk about rage, I think so often the white community looks around and says, why is this so violent? And why is this so much 
where has this come from? And it's, I felt that, Mm. um, because it's so unjust and it's so evil at its core and it's heartbreaking. So I, I, but see, here's the difference between you and me is that at any point I can say, I don't want to think about this anymore. And I can try to, to turn away and I can turn off my social media or I can – and speaking of social media, I've really appreciated social media for this reason. It, it, even the things that are coming out, this is what I keep reminding myself of. Yeah. For every post I see and every story I see and every video I watch, it is one exemplar of potentially what is happening to thousands if not tens of thousands of people. For every one snapshot, for yeah. every one clip – there's stories of potentially thousands of people, and it's just so overwhelming. It is. Um, and so I experienced that the day before you texted me. But even in that, I didn't quite connect and because I can just shut things out for a moment. Mm-hmm. My family and I, uh, we went on a very peaceful protest uh, in Bowling Green. Yeah. And as we walked home from that protest – I said to my kids, my wife, and even I said, was there ever a time where you felt nervous or scared or even uns- – because there were some it was some intense moments. Yeah. And they all agreed. And I said, imagine feeling that every day. And then we had that conversation. It's an, it's an interesting – I remember trying to explain this. I'm in a small group and I'm the only black guy in the small group. And I, I made a comment. A few weeks ago in our small group, I said, we were talking about our neighborhood and we have neighbors that are part of it. And I said, oh, yeah, like, you know, I have to smile at everybody because I'm the only black guy in the neighborhood. So I have Mm. to. And I remember a neighbor of mine was like, it just baffled her. And she's like, what? And she brought it up days later. She's like, I've never thought about that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, 100 percent, because I don't recognize everybody, but I know everybody recognizes me, you know, and that that comes with a certain weight. And, And it's an interesting, you know, that you're talking about being able to move on from it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting dynamic. Let me, let me first say this. I, I love my life. I, you've heard me say this many yes, times. Yes, of course. I love being black. I love coming from Nigeria. I, I, I love my life. I truly do. I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't ever rarely look at someone's life and say, I wish I was them. Like, I love it. Like, I mm-hmm. love being black. Like, I'm not just saying that because I don't have an option. Like, I, gen- I would not choose anything different. And, and I say that to put... The next thing I'm going to say in context is that, but there's also a day, there's no day that goes by mm. that I'm not made aware that I am black. And I think mm. that's the fundamental difference is yes. that I don't think most of my white friends are walking around every day going, I'm white, I'm white, I'm white. Like I know that I am black every single day for a lot of different reasons. Because yeah. when I pull in my neighborhood, I'm the only one. When I go to school, I'm the only one, you know, yeah. um, yeah. that there's just, there's just in, in experiences and environments that just highlight that, you yeah. know, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just, it's just this thing that you're uh-huh. carrying all along. It's a little bit like, so, you know, Ryan, um, Ryan and I worked together. Ryan and I went to Haiti a couple of years ago. And I remember Ryan, when he was in Haiti, just feeling like, he's like, wow, this is so weird. Cause everyone's mm. looking at me. Cause he's the only white dude there. And I yeah. was like, this feels great. And I remember <laughs> telling Ryan, I said, Ryan, this is what every day is like from you're here for a week in Haiti going there. I look, I'm like, this is what every day 
mm. is like. Like it's a you know, and that's not even considering the injustice and considering right. the fear, right? And all that comes. With. All that's those just layers. just the reality of it of being a minority. That's that's just the way it is. When it sounds as I'm interacting with my you know black brothers and sisters and brown brothers and sisters, I've been hearing even last night I was at a second protest. Uh, my family attended uh, that was run by high school students and it was yep. beautiful. It was peaceful. It was meaningful. Um, and it, but there were some hard things being said. And, mm-hmm. and I have a, um, a dear friend that was there who works with me at the university and his name is Greg. And he was sharing um, that it is exhausting. Similar to what you just said to me, he, cause we just, after <laughs> the protest just stood there yeah. and just talked, he says, every time I'm interacting with a white individual, mm-hmm. I have to make sure I, exert extra energy to make sure they feel okay mm-hmm. and that they feel, and I heard this even from student athletes recently at the university, how sometimes if they feel like people are unsettled, they have to put on an extra smile or an extra level of like humor to make everything's okay. Everything's safe. But I thought it was well, most interesting. He shared with me a metaphor that I'd never heard before. And he said, when I was a child, my parents sat me down and they got a white piece of paper and they took a black pen and they put a, a dot, a black dot in the middle of that paper and said to me, what do you see? And the response nine times out of 10, if not 99 out of a hundred is there's a black dot in the middle of the paper. No one saw the whiteness of the paper. Everyone saw the black dot in the middle of the paper. It's Mm -hmm. just what you just described. It's, and, and Ryan was feeling the opposite. It's it's a Caucasian man when he went to Haiti. Yeah. That, that's how it is. It's like you, you feel like you have to. I'll give you a story. I was uh, last weekend. It's just a simple story. I was outside playing with my kids in the front, uh, in front of our house. And I have two adjacent streets I can see through a house. I saw a cop car loop around. And immediately I thought to myself, if he pulls in front of our house, I'm going to wave him down. I'm going to walk over and just say, hi, officer. Hope you're having a good day, blah, blah. Mm. You know, appreciate it. And the reason I was going to do that is not just because I'm a nice guy and I just want to say hi. Is because I wanted him to know that I live there. You know what I mean? Like I wanted him to see me with my kids. That was my first thought. I just thought I'm going to flag him down. I'm going to smile because, hey, I would love for him to know, oh, yeah, there's a black guy that lives in that house. But most people would never think about that or ever consider that. I'll give you another example. My wife and I. So I I travel a little bit. I was the last tour I was on. My wife got an alarm and we live in a really safe neighborhood, but she got an alarm system for the house. And I came home and I kept forgetting the code when I would come home. And I told her, I said, babe, the the first time it happened, immediately I was thinking to myself, okay, if the cops show up, how am I going to, how, what's the fastest way for me to prove that I live here? Mm -hmm. I'm literally looking through my whole house going, okay, there's a picture of me up there. There's a picture of me. Can I get there fast without showing my hands, without going in the dark? Like, like, and my wife actually ended up canceling their alarm because she just, but she had never considered that. But yeah. I already went through that in my mind, just thinking if, if the cops show up, and I'm standing in a dark hallway and I can't get in my own house. How am I going to prove the fastest that I live here in the safest way possible? And so so those are just all the things that you are constantly it's it's ex- you use the word exhausting. So I, I have a bunch of black friends that I've been texting and calling this week. And that's been like the 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 word of, you know, the yeah. week. Is tired and exhausting, tired and exhausting, tired and exhausting. Well, and Sammy, your story as a professional, as an outstanding citizen, if I can use that word, yep. in Toledo, Ohio, that is your story. We cannot disregard that. We cannot marginalize that story. We cannot dare as the white community say, well, there's no need for you to feel that way. How dare we say, well, 
that's surely an isolated situation. There is a systemic, deeply rooted situation going on in our country today that is not your problem. It's my problem. I mean, I've heard some individuals say, you know, the system is broke. No, the system is working exactly the way it was built to work. From the very beginning, 400 years ago, enslaving human beings and bringing them into That is the root. Our nation was birthed in the amniotic, amniotic fluid of racism. So let me ask you this, Michael. I, so I'm, it's going to be interesting because I'm going to play the other side a little bit. Okay. Right? Because I can, so as a, as a communicator, as a leader, you know, you do this all the time too. When you preach, I always envision the room and I'm anticipating responses. I'm thinking, okay, if I say this, what are they going to say? If I say this, what are they going to say? So, so I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit to what you just said because I know that's what people are thinking is when you say that, people think to themselves, okay, 400 years is a long time. I wasn't alive there. And then two, they think, well, it's not, how is it my problem? I didn't actively be a part of this. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's typically the response. Of like, I hear you, Michael. That's great. But first of all, it's 400 years ago. Yep. Second of all, it's 2020. How's that my problem? But you that's know what? Usually the but, and here's what, and here's what happens. So now I'll make this comment and then, and then we'll maybe just take a little break. But this yeah. idea, cause I want to have this conversation at a deeper level yeah. is that what I don't want to say to myself or to any of my white brothers and sisters or individuals around the country, I, there's no place for white guilt. Yes. But there's 100% a place for white gumption and white grit to change things. Because what happens is we get stuck in the guilt. We get stuck. Yep. And I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to feel shamed. Yeah. But let's just be honest. You know, I was hearing a, I was hearing a black comedian just recently talk about this. This notion that, you know, how, how long are we going to talk about this? You know, mm-hmm. it's been 400 years yeah. since slavery. It happened 400 years ago. You know, the civil rights movement that happened, you know, decades ago. Yep. You know, George Floyd has been two weeks now. Mm-hmm. 9-11, never forget. Yeah. You know, there's something in our psyche that we want to downplay. And we're going to talk more about this as we continue this conversation together. But I would say that's what I, well, that's my response to that is that it's not about white guilt. It's about white grit and white gumption. Yeah. And I just want to say for the record, from a black person's perspective, like, we're not, we, we don't want white guilt either. Like that doesn't change anything. Like I don't want anybody to feel bad about anything. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I heard a great metaphor. Someone said a while ago. And like, I feel like every comp or metaphor for this conversation always falls short. You know, it's never perfect, mm-hmm. but I thought this was great. Someone said, it's as though when you buy a house, you buy a house, you have an inspector come inspect the house, right? And they inspect the house and then you get the, the report, you know, and they say, Hey, there, here's what's wrong with your foundation. It's broken. You're not, um, it's not your fault, but it's not your responsibility. Oh, you know, like it's that. like, so now it's your house. Like maybe the last guy was the one that jacked it all up, but now you live here. Now you're responsible for it. But I don't think that has to be a negative thing. And let me just say too, for what it's worth. So I, I said, I grew up the first 19 years of my life in Nigeria, right? When I came to America, it was like the greatest dream in the world. Mm. I've been here now for a really long time and I will say the exact same thing. I believe, and this is just me personal, that America, I don't want to live anywhere else. The, mm. When I became a U.S. citizen, Michael, and and I'll never forget my first 4th of July, right? I, mm. I get emotional just thinking about it. I'll never forget standing there and just putting my hand on my chest and singing when it, when the fireworks went up. Cause I had watched that for years. Like, I'm just like, you know, like just dreaming yeah, yeah. of the day that I got 
to say that I'm proud to be an American. Like what a privilege, what an opportunity. And so, so I, I just think it's important for people to know that I'm, it's from that perspective. I'm not like, oh, boo, yeah. America. No, no, no. I think this is an incredible country. But, but maybe that's why, you know, we should dig in further into the conversation to just say, man, we have a responsibility because, you know, of, of the blessings and the opportunities that we have to create a better world for our children. And I'm just going to go there because I want this to be a conversation of hope. I want this to be a conversation that is proactive and actually thinks about possibilities and just doesn't get stuck in the mire and the muck of the problems. Though we need to deal with those problems. We need to look at those problems. We need to solve those problems. But I was thinking about hope even yesterday. And for me, and you know me, you'll laugh at this, but an acrostic came to mind, H-O-P-E. And Mm -hmm. for me, what it's going to require, for Michael Brown, and I can only speak for myself, for me to have hope in this situation, First and foremost, there needs to be humility. I need to be humble. I cannot be spending all of my time and energy deflecting and defending and trying to explain and evade and mm-hmm. you know all the things that we can do to somehow feel like I don't have to take responsibility. I love that metaphor you gave about the house to take responsibility. But I also want to be humble enough to just be quiet. Um, there's actually a pastor in Atlanta right now who all, he's an African-American pastor and all of these white folks are coming to him saying, what do we do? They feel, there's this sense of yep. like ex- mm-hmm. passion and this renewed awakening. And he's saying, I'm not going to tell you, he's, I have lots of thoughts, but I'm not going to yep. tell you a single thing for 30 days. For 30 days, I just want you to sit in it. I want us to experience it. I want us to lament. I want us to weep together. I want us to hurt. I want us to grieve and then 30 days, let's have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And But what that's going to require, at least from the white community, is humility yeah. to just be still and not feel like I need to defend and I need to do all these things. Secondly, yeah. O, H for humility, O for ownership. I need to take ownership because here's what's happening typically. And you, and, and you were very kind in the way you talked about this story. You know, I wasn't a slave owner and I wasn't, I didn't yep. do this and that. But the reality is I, Michael Brown, it is impossible for me to be fully objective. And there is no question that I have racial bias. And I need to own it. I need to explore it. I need to reflect upon it. I need to think about it. I gotta figure this thing out. And I need to look in my own life and I need to take ownership for the things that I can take ownership for. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Why do you think it's so hard for people to own racial bias? Like, I feel like there, I can list 10 other things that people are like, you know, or sometimes I do this and sometimes I do that. And, but this is one that I feel like people have such a hard time yeah. owning. Yeah. Well, I love, um, actually the book White Fragility. I yep. actually am starting to read it and I wanted to look down because it's written by Robin D'Angelo. And what's interesting about that, he, uh, that individual explores, she explores that whole conversation mm-hmm. um, about why that is. But one of the things that comes to mind for me is you said at the beginning, you're thinking about those individuals on the planet yeah. who someday are going to hate your children mm-hmm. because of the color of their skin. And immediately when we think about that, we're like, that can't be me because we yeah. like to think of ourselves as good people, Absolutely. as, 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 as well-mannered and as, as kind. Mm-hmm. And the thought of us wearing the robe and the title of racist. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's too much. And so in many ways to understand 
that at every level we have racial, racial bias, racial yeah. prejudice. But I think that's why it's so averse. So I think that's where that humility comes in, that ownership comes in to be truly reflective and to think about those things. Thirdly is proactivity for P, humility, ownership, proactivity. I got to take action for the things I can control. I can't keep saying it's not my problem or I don't know what to do. We need to figure it out. And then finally, and you talked about this yesterday, and I yeah. want you to talk more about this, is this idea of empathy. And I'm going to share briefly, if I may, as I think about empathy, it's just even watching that video which, with George Floyd is so devastating. But I actually had a dream that week as well. And it was a terrible dream. It was a nightmare. Because I had a dream where actually the faces of several of black and brown brothers that I love. It was their faces under that knee. And it became really personal. And you talk about empathy and really being able, why is our first response to defend, to evade, and so on? But to really step in and say, oh my gosh, that could have been my friend. Yeah, That could have been Sammy. That could have been one of the athletes of color that I work with on, like, and, and literally, I'm not going to mention the names of those yeah. individuals that were here because it, I, I don't want them to even have that picture themselves, but it, it, it was a long dream and it was, and it just took, took my empathy and even took it a next level. Yeah. Um, because it's that real. Yeah. I, Talk to us about empathy. Yeah. Can I go back to ownership for Absolutely. just a second? Absolutely. I think that, so here's what's fascinating. I know a lot of people listen to this that aren't followers of Jesus Christ and all that. But as a pastor, I think Mm -hmm. that if anybody should lead the way in owning our racial bias, it should be people who claim to follow Jesus Christ. And here's why. The earliest followers of Jesus Christ who were eyewitness accounts of the gospels that we read and we teach out of were not afraid to document their own story of bias, which blows my Mm -hmm. mind. One One of my I don't want to favorite might not be the right word is in John chapter four. They go to Samaria, which is a part of town that they had been taught as little Jewish boys not to go to all of their lives. You know, as a Jew, you don't interact with Samaritans. You don't talk Mm -hmm. to Samaritans for cultural and spiritual reasons, you know, especially a Samaritan woman in the first century. That was like a big no, no. Jesus went to Samaria, sent him to go get food. They come back. And, and John says in John chapter four, that when the disciples came back, they were shocked to see him talking with a woman and nobody said anything. That blows my mind. Mm-hmm. If I were the one writing that story, I'd be like, maybe we shouldn't write this in Leave here. That part this out. does not make us look good, you know? But you see that all through scripture. We see, I think it's in Acts chapter four or four or five, you know, where some, some, I think the Hebraic Jews were ignoring another set of Jews. And, and then Paul again, obviously talks about the Galatians and, and Peter didn't want to eat with the centurion. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you read the scripture and and you see these guys document their own stories of cultural bias and religious bias and like and i just think to myself if our heroes of our faith can mm-hmm. can own that then i hope that gives us permission to own that and that just reminds me of something else Please. someone a friend of mine so we were texting about this and, and a friend of mine texted me this and and he said to me he said you know, I don't know about all the stuff they're talking about on this grave, but really people just need Jesus. I've heard that many times. People just need Jesus. People just need Jesus. People just need Jesus. And I said to him, which is so ironic because I'm a pastor, you know, that's, I right, teach right. Jesus my whole life. And, and I found myself in this place where I said, no, I don't think it's that simple. Mm-hmm. Yes, obviously we all need Jesus, 
But I said, isn't it fascinating that the people who walked with Jesus still had bias? Like they physically had Jesus with them and they were shocked that he was talking with a woman. Yes, we need Jesus. But I think the conversation goes a little bit deeper than that. I think we have to give ourselves permission to say, hey, you can be a follower of Jesus Christ. You can be a good person and still have racial bias. Like yes. you just give each other grace across and all the faith traditions, yeah. across whatever all you the, believe. Even yeah. if you're like, I'm just a good person. That's yeah. awesome. It's not taken away from that. And maybe right. this is not a good way to look at it. But I remember a while ago, you and I were talking and, and you talked about the scale, you know, negative 10 to plus 10. You know, I think sometimes when we think of racial, we just think racist, like, you know, the worst racist. I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if this is a good comp, but, but maybe there's a scale. You know, and, and maybe maybe it's OK for us to just admit that, hey, like I'm going to do the hard work of looking in my heart yes. and owning whatever is in there and bringing that out. You know, because I'll be honest with you, it's a lot easier yes. to be like, what can we do? What can we do? Let's do. It's yep. a lot easier to want to do 100 things than for us to take account of our own hearts. So just absolutely. Okay, where Sammy. is that bias in my heart? It is the hidden work that is the hard work. And it is that work that isn't being posted on social media. Yeah. I mean, you can post on social media, but then live out your life yes. of justice yes. and mercy and kindness and generosity. That's what I want to, I don't want to live my life on social media. I want to post and then I want to actually live it out. I, I actually just tweeted about this today, but my, my sense is this, that, that protests are good. That promises, and I'd say this to myself and also my white community, protests are good. Promises are better. Promises kept are best. And this is what I'm hearing from my black brothers and sisters. I'm hearing them say, forgive me for not trusting you. Forgive me for not taking you at face value when you're really excited about this right now. Will you be there when the cameras go away? Will you be there when the protests stop? And what does it look like? For black lives to matter next week, next month, a year, like this, we can not and I, and forget. That, that is a great point. I was going to ask you that, and, and maybe this is not a fair question to ask you, but I told you I was going through waves, and I was, yeah. I was sad, then I was angry, then I was a little numb, and then I went through a season where I was cynical. Like I was just kind of like, uh, kind of skeptical, you know, a part of me was happy to see people like woke or whatever you want to call it, get excited. But a part of me is skeptical for the same reason that you said, I'm like, uh, two months from now, is it going to be like this a year from now? So I'm going to ask you that question. Yep. Maybe a hard question is that, cause that's what I'm thinking. I'm seeing all this post, but the difference is, and you said this before, is like, I can't walk away from that. Like, you know what I mean? My, yes. my skin in America has already forced me to be a part of, like, I just can't. A year from now, of course, I'll be having this conversation because I can't leave you the can't. conversation. So I'm going to ask you as my wife friend to say, okay, like, you know, like, how are you, you know, no pun intended, going to have enough skin in the game that a year from now you're still in the fight? Well, with and us. I want you as my friend to say, what are you doing this week? to continue to fight for social justice, for racial equality? What are you doing still to this day to speak against police brutality? What are you doing in regards to the economic inequality in our country? Like, what are you doing now? Locally, in your world, with your people, in your community. This is the thought I have. Is that right now we're in a season of awareness. 
our eyes are being opened Sam, mm-hmm. in, in new ways. And I think it comes at levels and there's different things that happen yeah. in our life. That's true of all of us as humans as we grow. Yep. It's like these moments, right? Mm-hmm. Where we wake up a little more to what is real. And reality is our friend. So there is awareness. But then comes the next step. Admission. I have to admit my part in this. At the very least, I have to admit that I have experienced privilege and blessing and benefits from, at the very least, I have to admit that I am experiencing benefits that at its root were on the backs of slaves. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then comes ally, activate, advocate, and activist. So, I'm seeing a lot out there in social media, like, yep. will you be my ally? Yes, yep. I want to be your ally. So, but before I can be your ally, there needs to be awareness. There needs to be admission. Now I need to step in and be your ally. But I also want to be an advocate. I want to be able to say, and I don't, this is where the rubber meets the road. I don't know how to mm-hmm. do this thing. I don't know how to do this thing. But even the other day, I was in a space where there was one African-American in a group of white individuals. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go over and say, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to be parental. I'm, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 yeah. the, the privileged white guy. But I was literally, my heart was genuinely sincere. I want to go have this conversation. Yeah. The other day, there, there was a police officer who pulled over an African-American man in my town near yeah. my neighborhood who was on a hoverboard. Yeah. And I almost turned around. And again, yeah. believing the best of the police officer, believing yeah. the best of the situation, but to simply go over there and just say, I see you. Yeah. Is everything okay? You okay? And just to continue... That's very, or even financial. There's so many things I'm thinking locally, locally, yep. locally. To be an ally, to be an advocate, but also an activist. There needs to come a time where I need to use my voice and I need to say, this is, you know, it's interesting. A lot of folks have been been talking to me about this idea that if I was alive during the time of the lynchings, mm-hmm. there is no way I would have been silent. There is no way I wouldn't have screamed out and said, stop this horror. And and yet we're afraid to use our voice now because this is what's a lot. This is, and I'll be very transparent with you, my friend. There was a moment last week where this thought passed through my consciousness. I wonder what my white friends and family think about me right now. Cause I'm talking a lot about this on mm-hmm. Instagram, on social media. Yeah. I'm doing a one hour podcast with you. What are they in the moment? It crossed my consciousness. I felt sick to my stomach and I made a vow to myself. Yeah. I don't care. Not only that, I can't mm-hmm. care. The stakes are too high. This is too important of a moment. We cannot let this moment pass. I agree. And, and Michael, I think that one of the things I keep telling people, people keep asking, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And, and I think I, I can't speak for all black people, but I think a lot of people, when we hear that, um, we're thinking long term, right? I'm not mm-hmm. just thinking like, Hey, what can you do right now? So you feel good about yourself for two minutes, you know, like, Hey, what can you do? So you're in this fight long term because it's a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. Um, and, and I think honestly, one of the best things that people can do, one phrase I've been saying to our community is to localize the conversation, which you just said, please specifically, I think that there are two things. I think one, it's relationship, right? So like I just told you a few minutes ago, like I can't get away from this. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the best things that, that, uh, white folks can do 
is to say, hey, I'm going to connect. I'm going to link arms with somebody who can't get away from it because guess what? Now I can't get away from it too. Mm, because now I it's my that. friend. Now it's my brother. Now it's my sister. Now it's my neighbor. I know them. I've been in their homes. I've been in mine. I know their kids. I have faces when I see the numbers. Like, so I, I think that there's that side of it to just say, hey, I'm going to personalize this. I'm going to get close enough to the action that um, I can't just leave when it's convenient. And I think the second thing, honestly, that, that makes me a little bit skeptical is that, so you said mm-hmm. earlier, you said the hidden work is the, what'd you say? The hidden the work hard is, work the, is the, hard, the hidden is the work. Hidden work. Yeah. And that's, that's the challenge too. That's a little bit why I'm skeptical is because, hey, most of the work that it's going to take, it's not going to get you likes. It's not going to get you retreats. It's going to be really uncomfortable and it's a grind and it's a marathon. And so, so I think sometimes we don't know, we haven't counted the cost. That, that's a little why I'm a little skeptical. It's like, have yeah. you counted the cost of what you want to do? I know you're passionate. It's like when you go on a mission trip, you know, and you go to Haiti and you're like, we're going to change the world and yeah. change the country. And you feel great about yourself. And you come back two weeks later and go back to living your normal lives. Yeah. You know, but to just say, how can we anchor our lives to people and to conversations in a way that we cannot get away from it, even when it's no longer quote unquote trendy? But brother, we do it all the time with fitness. We've talked about what does it mean to actually become the best version of yourself physically? You've yep. got to dig in. You've got to yep. go the long haul. You've got yep. to say, we do it with, we do it with our entrepreneurial adventures. Yep. We, we want to build a company, the hard work and all the yep. things that we want to do. We understand what it means to go the distance. Yep. We understand that it's hard to transform your body from from yeah. the days of donuts and, uh-huh. and ice cream to what you want it to be. We yep. understand how we can go from, yep. from having nothing. We, how much more when we are talking about human life, mm-hmm. human beings made in the image of God who are infinite and sacred with names and stories and families. Mm-hmm. And you said it best, yeah. you know, have you been in my home? Have I been in your home? Have, you know, cause again, you talked about this yesterday as you were sharing with your community. There's a big difference between having, being, having black friendliness yep. and black friends. Friendship, yep. And we've all been, you know, and again, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but we're talking, you're talking about getting really close. You're talking yep. about making this really personal, going the long term. Yep. If I'm really close to my close, like I'm going to do whatever it takes for my close yep. friends. But you said it best even yesterday. A lot of times we think we have good, close black friends, but what would they say? Yeah. Would, would they say, you're my friend? You know, and I think, Michael, I just thought about it as you were talking. Please. I wonder if part of the reason also, because you use the fitness and things like that, but you think about it like, I want to get in shape because I'll look good and I'll mm. feel better about myself. I wonder if a part of it too is that we don't do a great job of communicating like the benefits of it. And so, and this is one thing I try to say to our community is that diversity is not just a yes. good idea. Like, oh, it'll be fun to be diverse because it's just this PC it's and it the sounds right good. Thing to, yeah. No, it's actually better. For everyone. And so one of the things I hope people realize is like, I'm not saying have friends that look nothing like you just because, well, that looks better and that makes our world better. No, your life will be better. Like your, your life will be better the more you immerse in other cultures and, and yeah. people who look different than you and vote different than you and talk different than you and think different. Like it is actually better. Your kids' lives will be better. Your uh-huh. houses will be better. The quality of your life, our communities will be better. And, and we need, you know, I'm sure there's some white individuals listening. Well, you know, the economy will grow. The economy yeah. will be better. Every, that's not an issue of if I have more, that you need to have less for me to have more. We can yep. all rise together. Yeah. But there is that, again, it goes back to that very simple idea that this is systemic. Yeah. And so 
we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. There's no way for we and you and I can dive into that conversation, but we just need to be able to acknowledge this is systemic. It's as you described in the foundation of the house. Yeah. So I need to, and you need to, we all need to look at my personal choices. And again, we're all about, and that's my whole DMB coaching is all about the next choice, the next choice, the next choice is that I want to make great choices for me in Mm -hmm. the moment as much as I can do, but also I've got to think about and I've got to reimagine systems and equality and politics and police Mm -hmm. and prosperity and all of these things beginning with my own heart. Yeah. But I can't just stop there. So it's both and. I think, I think there are individuals out there that are saying it's all systemic. Like, yeah. And then, but I'm not going to take any personal. What is your personal choice? But then the person who just says, I'm just going to keep working harder. It's just not going to work. There's going to be so many things that need to change. Yeah. So talk to me about empathy. It's hard because I feel like, you know, by nature, we're, we're all selfish human beings and, and we all tend to, uh, we see the world through our lens and how does it make me happy? How does it bring me joy? How does it help me? And, and empathy is really being able to say, I'm going to step into someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. And I think what's fascinating to me about empathy is that empathy in some ways doesn't care about the facts, right? Not saying facts don't matter. <laughs> it's just saying if, even when you're wrong and I'm right and I see you in pain, I still empathize with you regardless of context because we're human beings and I see your pain and I see the weight that you're carrying and I empathize with you just on that basic level, regardless of of whether you're right, wrong and all of that. Uh, But I think it's really hard to do that. And I think part of it is because we don't pause long enough to really put ourselves Mm. um, in other people's shoes. And so I'll tell you a quick story of this this one time that hit me the most. I was, I was working with college students and, and I was, gonna speak to a room full of people and um and there was a certain demographic demographic of people you know in the room that we're going to be talking to and um actually it was at the university of toledo and it was the lgbtq community was going to be a part of that conversation and they they wanted to know you know as a person of faith what do i think and all of that stuff and and so which is an interesting conversation and 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 i just i and so i was preparing for this talk and thinking of the content and what am i going to say and all that the good stuff and about four days before I gave this talk, I was, I was a blogger, but then I had a blog and I checked my email and I saw I had a hundred comments and I was like, what in the world? And I go check my email and it was this guy on there that was leaving all these comments, just calling me the N word, like you bleepity N word thing and your N word, like just a oh hundred. And so I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. So I call my web guy and I'm like, what am I going to do? And so he goes in and he shuts the comment down in the blog. And so this guy starts going through and I had hundreds of blogs. So he starts going through every single blog, just leaving comments like you just N word this and that. And I just like, you know, I hate you and you're whatever you stand for. I mean, just think of the most vile comments you could ever just consistently. And so I, I call my web guy. We shut off the whole blog in there. And so this guy goes on oh Twitter and he starts sending me the same messages on Twitter. So I go on Twitter and I block him and he's creating accounts. So Twitter and Facebook we will shut down his account. I block him. He creates account. And he's like, you're not going to stop me. There's nothing you can do. I'm getting emails and bombarded. I mean, it was 
unbelievable. He's like, you're not going to stop me. I'm going to do this, you know, as long as I can. You're not going to be steps ahead of me. The most vile things you could ever think of, you know, just, just because of. And so I remember it got to a point where I was on the floor in my living room. I had called my web guy, shut everything out, and I was sobbing. I was sobbing. I just wanted it to stop. And, and, and I could not, I could not believe that there's somebody somewhere that hated me that much because I was black and was going to do whatever he could to just say that over and over and over again. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so what's ironic about this story is that, is that even though the story was about me, ended up not being about me. Right. So I'm on my floor sobbing in tears, just going, I cannot believe I'm hated this much. And I'll never forget this thought came to my mind. I said, okay, Sammy, now you know what the people who you're going to go speak mm. to feel like. And then I started crying more. And I remember standing on stage just with tears in my eyes. And it was such a different conversation because I, and I said to the room full I'm like, I see you now. I, see you. I did it before. Before it was just this issue and I had to just say where I stood on the issue. And yeah, there are people involved and you know, like I'm going to try yeah. to be graceful. But for the first time I was like, wow, like I understand what it's like to be hated for something that I feel like I could not control. And I would choose, you know, and I remember just looking at a room full of people just saying, man, That's it me. doesn't really even matter yeah. where I think. The fact that there are people in this room that have felt for their whole lives yes. what I felt for three hours. I mean, Michael, I again, I said, I love my life. I do. Like, but that was maybe one of two times my whole life where I just, I just wanted it to end. I just was like, I was like, I can't, how can I live in a world like this? And so, so for people to think that people feel that just yeah. blew my mind. And so all that to just say, to me, that was one a clear example of empathy because all of a sudden I could see myself in their shoes and it broke my heart. And so I think that when people say black lives matter, and I understand that it's complex and, and there are so many things about the movement that, you know, you feel like you have to, we're not endorsing the whole movement. We're not saying it's good to loot and all that stuff. I think any reasonable person would understand that. But, but if people would just pause and just take yes. a step back and say, hey, it's not a political statement. We're not saying we endorse everything about the Black Lives Lives movement or anything that's ever happened in the news. Really, what, when you think about what those three words actually mean and that, that there's, that there are people in this country who are begging for you to acknowledge that their lives matter, that, that they're in such pain that they had to say that, that they yes. had to put that on a sign. I mean, that is so heartbreaking, regardless of where you are on the aisle. That, 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 can you just empathize with that? Can you just say, man, the fact that you'd even feel that way, regardless yeah. of what got you to feel that way, is heartbreaking. As opposed to, but, I didn't do that. Yeah. But, like you said, the rest of the movement may not be everything I agree with, but, however, yeah. it's that... I, we want to explain. Yeah. We want to evade. Yeah. Um, we want to excuse. You know, I want to add a word even to your empathy because I've been listening to you talk about empathy for so long now. And even yesterday, it just was so great to hear you. I want to add to your notion of empathy, excruciating empathy. Yeah. I am asking and hoping in my own life, and I would invite anybody who's listening to join with me, what harm is there in being first empathetic? 
mm-hmm. but excruciatingly so. So when we see a sign and we hear a story and we see those tears, what harm is there in leaning in and saying, I am so sorry. Yeah. And I see yeah. you and I stand with you and I care. And I, yeah. and I think what happens is, is we think what the harm is, if I can speak to it, mm-hmm. is that what if I don't agree with everything you've, yeah. who cares? Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Or what, um, and I think at the very root of it is if I, if I lean in and excruciatingly empathize with you at some point in time, it's some moment in my week, at some point during this year, I might have to look in the mirror someday as I'm brushing my teeth and say, I'm benefiting from this. Mm-hmm. In some way, I have been involved in creating this. Maybe not at a, macro level, but in these Mm -hmm. microaggressions or maybe that comment I made, like there's just, but we want to excuse because it is so hard. It feels like it's hard work. It's overwhelming. It's exhausting. And that's one of the things I've been thinking and feeling. I've been tempted and I shared this Mm -hmm. within my social media outlets. I've been tempted for even a day. Say, let me just take a day and turn it off. Yeah. Just escape for it. Why? Because it hurts and it's overwhelming and I don't have all the answers and I don't have all the solutions and I just need a rest. I need a break from all of this, you know, global pandemic, another great recession and, you know, racial inequality, social, all this is happening at the same time. It's like, oh my gosh. But this is a moment. Mm -hmm. Like I can either become bitter or better during this time. And I want to become better, but you said it well, not just for me and not mm-hmm. just for my brown son, yeah. but for my community, for my neighbors, for my county, for my state, for my world. Like I want to live that way because you yeah. said it best, my friend. We all, it's just better. It's better. It's yeah. so much better. Yeah. And, and I think that sometimes you just don't know what you're missing out on until mm-hmm. you actually like get to experience it, you know, until you actually get there and you go, wow, this is a better life. And this is a better experience for all of us as a whole. I love it. But it's a painful journey. You know, we're going to have to count the costs. So So brother, if I can ask you very straightforward. Yeah. The three words today is black lives matter. Mm -hmm. And there are those who are saying in response to that, well, all lives matter. How does that make you feel? And how do you respond to that? Uh, how does it make me feel? Um, I, I think it's, it depends on the day, to be honest. Okay. You know, I, I think it's, it's incredibly tone deaf. That's what I think. Personally, just to be honest with you, I, I just don't have a lot of patience for it anymore. And I understand that, you know, that there's a part of this conversation where we need to be patient. I need to be patient. I need yeah. to explain people and walk them through it. But there are a lot of days where I'm just like, I just don't have time for that because there's too much work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I understand, like we said a few minutes ago, that, that there are complexities to it. I understand why people may be slow to, because they feel like they're affiliating themselves with some organization that's, you know, they, they want to, I, I get that. Uh, but, but so, so I think my initial response, you know, especially if it's online is I'm just, I just don't have time. I just don't want to waste my time, you know, trying to explain to someone if you don't get that. 
Uh, but but I think maybe a more helpful response would be, I just think that people are just not close enough, mm. right? I think it's a tell. I think if your response to Black Lives Matter is all lives matter, all you're telling me is that you're not close enough to the pain and to the people and to what's happening. Because if you are, right, if, if you hear yes. me, if you know me, if you're close enough to me, I say Black Lives Matter. If you're close enough to me, then you understand that, that I'm, I'm connecting that to my kids. I'm connecting yeah. that to the future. I'm connecting that in a personal way. It's far more personal than it is political, you know? And so, um, so yeah, so it's unfortunate that we yeah. live in a world where we have to say that and we have to, um, and I'll be honest for me, it took a while, you know, I feel like we've gone through waves of Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter, you know, it took a while for me, even as a black man, to be able to add my voice to that. Not because I didn't believe in it or whatever, you know, um, but, but, but it took a while for, for even me, you know, for that, for that to get close enough to say, man, no, this, this is, I have to add my voice to that, knowing what it may cost me. And brother, knowing that you are exhausted by that and knowing that you are tired by that and knowing that you are, I mean, honestly offended by that and just, I don't want you to have to say in the, in, in the choir and the resounding of, you know, all lives matter, which in many ways is white lives matter. Yeah. I want us, the white majority, I want us, those who have benefited, who, who have white privilege. And I, I want to talk about white privilege for a second, but don't think about it in terms of that. It feels so like offensive to some yeah. people. Think of it as white blessing. Yeah. White benefits. There's things that are happening nearly. The fact that I don't have to think about this is white yeah. privilege. Yeah. And so just this notion, I want to be able to say, no, you shouldn't have to say that. I should have to say that. Yeah. It was interesting at the first protest that we attended at Bowling Green, um, there was at, at one point so, uh, a white person walking toward the stage mm-hmm. saying white lives matter. Yeah. Not all lives matter, but white lives matter. Yeah. And the black lead protester looked to the white community because there was a lot of us there and yeah. said, do I need to respond to this or can you respond yes, to this? Does. Yeah. And if I'd say, I'm not exaggerating, a hundred white individuals begin to surround this person mm-hmm. it was not violent it was very peaceful yeah. and began to kind of on our behalf yeah. as a white community we're saying stop yeah. stop it shouldn't have to be your voice um i was reading a metaphor maybe i heard a metaphor this idea that if you uh move into a first floor of an apartment and there's a big pipe burst on the top level of the apartment that's coming yeah. down and, 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 and destroying everyone's apartments. Yeah. It's the responsibility of the people living in the top apartment to fix the leak. Yeah. And so it doesn't, it's not the responsibility because if we use the metaphor with just yeah. what we're talking about, social inequality yeah. and racial inequality, those on the first floor don't have access to the top floor to fix the leak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to fix the leak. We need to fix it. Those who have that position. And that's the difference. And I loved the, the book White Fragility because it differentiated between racism and racial prejudice. Yeah. Racism, you know, people talk a lot about reverse racism. Yeah. Yeah. Reverse racism doesn't exist because racism in its very essence is about power. Mm-hmm. That racism means that I have the power to change your life because of my view of you. you yeah. Know, Anybody, and I think all of us on some level are racially prejudiced or racially biased, right? Yep. But for racism to be true, I have to have the power 
to be able to change things. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to leverage my voice, my friend. And, and I just want to say this out loud to my, to my white brothers and sisters and to those that would be in the majority population. I think that there's seven things, if I may divert yeah. and just say, I, I think quite simply, we need to, we need to look closely. We need to listen carefully. We need to live wisely. We need to learn deliberately. We need to leverage strategically. We need to lead heroically. And we need to love extravagantly. And and I might write a book on that someday because I'm so passionate about this. What does it mean to leverage the white voice, to leverage white? First of all, I just want to listen and I want to look and I want to learn. And then I also want to live. I want to live the things that I'm learning and listening and, and seeing and hearing. I want to live those things out. But then I also want to pivot and I want to lead and I want to love and I want to leverage my life yeah. to actually make a positive difference. So I do think, and that can happen at the, right in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But it also, and if I can say this, it's about money. So even Teresa and I, we're starting yeah. to have the conversation, where are we going to put our money? Yeah. Where are we going to fund? Who are mm-hmm. we going to help? What is this going to look like? Yeah. Um, black businesses. I mean, there's so many things I can talk about yeah. that Have just, it. again, this podcast won't allow, but I want you to hear me say this to you. You're my friend. Six years and counting. And hopefully after this podcast, yeah. we're still friends. <laughs> yeah. Of course. But you're not alone. At least from my family's perspective, you're not alone. And I want you, and we talk about a lot of things, I want you at any point where you're feeling like this thing, racial inequality, all of this stuff that you're experiencing, if if you're having that moment where someone's a police officer driving around your block and you have to explain where you, I want you to call us and I want you to say, this is happening and I want to help carry that. That will not be an inconvenience. That will not be an intrusion. That will not be an interruption. Um, I welcome that. And I want you to hold me accountable. And I said it earlier, but I want you to say, and I, and maybe for everyone who is white and listening in, that you would find those individuals who will ask you every single week, mm-hmm. not just, hey, did you get up and go work out today? Because, you know, we're holding each other accountable in that. Yeah. Not, hey, did you, whatever. But what work are you doing? in regards to racial injustice and social inequality yeah. for those who are marginalized even beyond the black community within our culture. I, yeah. So I just want to say that out loud because I, but also, like I said, it's one thing to be passionate today, Yeah. but I've got to write it on my calendar, on my to-do list. There needs to be, because I, we must, my friend, this moment cannot pass. We cannot come back here again in a year. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, Michael, you know, I, I love those seven words that you said. I, I think the two words that jump out to me were listen and learn. Mm. And and those jump out to me because I think that that changes your posture when you walk in. Right. Because, you know, I think part of the the skepticism and being cynical, you know, in some black communities and, and hearts doing this is is it's an interesting thing because it's like, man, we're so glad to see so many people speaking mm-hmm. up and want to come in, you know. Uh, but I think listening and learning gives you a posture of a servant coming in, 
right? So it's not, again, the white savior, you know, because because that can also be a dynamic in there to just be yeah. like, you know, because there are people, I saw someone post the other day that I follow that, man, we've been in this fight for a long time. Long so it's time. not like, okay, now we're here, everybody, you know, white folks are here to fix it now. Like that's not, mm-hmm. and that's where you go in and the posture is to listen and to yes. learn, to just say, how can we link arms? But I just want to say too, to what you just said, Michael, that, you know, I feel like I've gone through so many waves of emotions. I've been sad. I've been angry. I've been cynical. I've been skeptical. I've been overwhelmed. Uh, but I feel like it wasn't until maybe two days ago mm. that I felt hopeful. Um, and I think that I felt hopeful because a couple of reasons. One, I think seeing how much not only this has, has affected our nation, but the world. Like to, to see yeah. people around the world resonate with this and, and to see, you know, people that I would never have guessed would hold up a sign of or say something. Yeah. And I know that, you know, and I know that we're saying we want this to be long-term and all of that. But for me, seeing those things have given me hope because then I realized, okay, so I'm not the only one. Maybe I'm not the only one that's fighting for my kid's future. Like that's where my hope has come from that. Okay. My hope hasn't come from like, okay, all racism is going to be gone next year. My kids are never going to have that guy that's going to hate my kids. Now they're going to hate my kids. That hasn't changed. But I think what's changed is that, okay, for that one voice, man, it sure looks like there are hundreds and thousands of voices who will speak up and will actually fight for that world. That has, it's still sad some days, but that has given me hope. It's what you just said to just say, okay, so, okay, so Michael Brown and, okay, so so there are people who, though they can't ever fully know what it's like, are willing to walk there and are a phone call or whatever way and are willing to actually like, get in this fight that gives me hope to be like okay great all right good it's good to know that that i'm not alone in that fight and i think that's part of the beauty of the white community coming alongside a black community it's not that you know hey we're gonna come down and fix it but to just say hey man like now you're not it's like you know i'm gonna use a movie metaphor i don't know if you've seen the latest avengers movie you know it's like at the the very end thanos is beating everybody you know, and Captain America is trying the best and then it looks up and all of a sudden Every, all of oh, these guys and you're just picture. like, okay, that that's to me has been game a changer. Hope. Yeah, it's a game changer because yeah. now, okay, now we're going to take down this evil and we're going to shut it down for what it is. But to you take know? your metaphor the next step, what I don't want you hearing me say when I say I'm committed and we're yeah. going to step in, we are yeah. not the saviors. We are not yeah. the – we literally show up and then we take our cues. Yeah. We take our marching orders from the yeah. black community. Yeah. So I say to you, you use the terms yeah. to listen and to learn. I will say to you, yeah. I will say to the author of White Fragility, I yeah. will say, and again, another resource to watch Netflix original documentary 13th. 13th. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, but again, but the point is I will take yeah. my marching orders yeah. from you. Meaning you tell me what I need to do. Not here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Cause here's what, cause what we've been doing hasn't been working. I want to say we're here to serve. Like we're not taking the platform of leadership. You lead. Let us follow. And again, where some people's like, I'm not going to, like, I'm used to leading. It's, we all are better because of it. And quite honestly, the best leaders are the best followers. If you can't follow. Yeah. And again, and even now leadership is 100% about influence. We're seeing it. It's not about position. Mm -hmm. It's not about title. It's about, all of us can make a difference. Yeah. 
but it needs to come at the direction of the black community. Yeah. You have the answers. Um, there's great writing out there. It's getting attention and we need to humble back to hope, humble yeah. ourselves. Um, and we need to fight. Yeah. And fight, not just fight, but with fortitude. Yeah. The word fortitude means that you continue to press on yeah. regardless of pain and discomfort. Yeah. So it's one thing to fight right now. We can march some streets yeah. and we can do some things, but I'm talking about when it's not convenient, when it yeah. really hurts. And you said it, yeah. brother, I'm curious, what's this going to cost me? Yeah. What's this going to cost my family? I want to pay the price. I'm not sure what that looks like yet, mm-hmm. but yeah. I am so open yeah. and I'm listening. And I would hope that if anyone listening out there saying, this is what it would cost and this is how I can help. And this is what DMB coaching can do. And this is what Soma city church can yeah. do in Northwest Ohio. Like we don't want to be just about awareness. Yeah. We want to be about action. I agree. And I, and I think for some people, and I, I don't know what the demographic of your listeners is, but I think for some of us, some people are watching, I'm imagining that the, the mm-hmm. costs is going to be the very first step. There's probably more people than you think, Michael, that are listening to this that are like, I don't really even have a black friend that can get close enough, much less to know their pain. You know what I mean? And so, so part of it is also, like I said, I live in a very white world, like, you know, yeah. and so, but even I, my wife and I, and from my perspective, when we went to my daughter's school, like, and this sounds weird, but immediately I saw the black friend and I'm like, hey, I'm going to go talk to that guy. And that wasn't even just for myself. You know, that was just to just say, Hey, I'm going to have to go out of my way to build. And so I just want to encourage people who are listening to just say, Hey, like that is that for some people, that's that next step is to just say, I'm going to go out of my school zone, my neighborhood zone, my work zone. Cause some people work, live and play. And there's nobody that's not like you there. And yeah. it's kind of like, I'm going to take a step outside of my comfort zone to say, Hey, how can I start slowly, you know, in friendship and conversation with people who are nothing like me. And I promise you, it'll be make your life better. It oh, feels I, so uncomfortable, but it's so much better. Yeah. It's so much better. And, and I'm finding myself even now, every time I see uh, a person of color, not yeah. just black or brown, but yeah. across the spectrum, yeah. I just want to just smile. I want to wave. Yeah. But even I want to pause and I'm finding myself, what does it mean? It, again, let me know. Is this weird? Yeah. But I want to pause and go over and say, these are crazy times. Yeah. Here's my, here's my role play, Sammy. Help me out. Yeah. These are crazy times. <laughs> yeah. And we're in this restaurant together and I just feel drawn yeah. to walk over to you and to say, I see you. And I'm sorry for all of the craziness yeah. of this time. And my name's Michael. Yeah. What's your name? And just maybe two minute conversation. Like, is that weird? That's not weird. Okay, I'll, like, I'll say this. I'll say this, Michael. Like, I would rather people say the wrong thing or say it weird than say nothing. You know what I mean? Like, like that's part of the, of, of the cost. That's the conversation. I would rather you step into that moment, obviously in a winsome way yeah. and in a normal way. And I know you would do that. I hope. Then, then yeah. say nothing, you know, yeah. because again, I don't know if you know this or not, but we do that anyways, you know, black people. And this, my wife, so my wife's white. And it, I remember flying with my wife on an airplane. And I gave a little nod to a guy, like, what's up? And she's like, uh, you know that guy? I'm like, no, I don't know him. But he's the only other black guy on this plane. <laughs> like, like we already have that. Like, I walk in, I see him, and I give him just like a, hey, man. Like, 
always there's if I walk down this mall and another black guy is walking, we're going to nod. We're going to do. And, and it's just that acknowledgement yeah. that, hey, I see you, you know, and, and, I, and so so we're already seeing ourselves in those environments where we're the minority. But I think in a winsome way, I think that could be incredible. I think that there are creative, winsome ways to just let people know that, hey, that I see you. The goal is not to not see color. No, 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 no. We see ourselves. You know, let's celebrate the diversity and the beauty and, and let's build friendships and build connections. I would not be offended if someone said that because I already see myself as the only black guy on the whole flight. You know, thank you for the permission. The yeah. next time I do it and someone looks at me strange, I'll say my friend Sammy yep. said so I can he do told that. me I could, you know, <laughs> but that's part of the mess is like, are we willing to step in? And, and, and not, and put our pride aside and, and for, for the sake of conversation and for the sake of people. So what I hear you say, my friend, is that this is going to be messy and that I have permission to try new things, experiment a little bit, and that a little awkwardness is okay, yeah. whereas silence is not. I, you know, this podcast, I, I woke up one night with a stream, like, because we haven't been posting our podcast mm-hmm. because yeah. I'm just like, I just can't. This, they seem trite in and light of all of this. Yeah. And then I like three words, podcast, three words, Black Lives Matter. And I thought, Sammy, I want to sit with my friend. It's now been, what, an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. I want to sit with my friend and have this conversation. But I want to give you the last word. And I want just any final thoughts and just what do you want to say? And what do you want me to know? And what do you want our listeners to know? And What's on your heart? And we've said a lot already, but I just want to give you an opportunity just to kind of wrap up stuff today. So I'm going to bring this back full circle. Okay. So you said earlier, we've been friends now and um, for six years. But actually, the first time I heard you speak, remember I told you this, was at a Christmas conference. I think it was December of 2000. I came to a breakout (laughs) seminar at Christmas conference, and you painted a picture of friendship and I remember walking out of that room shaking Mm. tears down my face going I want that like I felt like I had been I'm like I've been looking that's what I've been looking for my whole life like I was like I I I want that that was my first I think I told you this when I reached out to you years later that was my first memory of you I just I just remember walking away with my buddy John who is my best friend now we've known each other for years just saying I want that I will do anything for that if it is possible for me to be that known and that love, I will do whatever it takes. And so to bring that back, I, 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 I truly believe that friendship is one of God's greatest blessings to us. Yeah. Like, I just think it is. I just think it makes, I can't think of one area of life that friendship does not make better. It just yeah. makes it better. And so, so I think for me, that's the heart of this conversation is mm. to just say, hey, yes, obviously justice and equality and those things matter because people matter. Um, but if I could personalize it, if someone's listening, going, well, what about me? Your life will be better, mm. not only with friendship, but when you engage friendship with people who are nothing like you, there's a whole different layer to life that you are missing out on in terms of culture and experiences and people. And so I just want to encourage you to just open up, expand your table, add seats yeah. around your table, go out of your way to befriend people who are nothing like you. It'll be messy. It'll be clunky. It'll be uncomfortable, but it will be one of the best decisions that you've ever made in your life. Wow. 
So in summary, for life to matter, all lives must matter. But for all lives to matter, black lives must matter. 